you, Rachel. Great. Thank you very much, and thank you all for still being here. I know you're probably extremely hungry. I am. Um, so I shall try and keep to time. I also didn't want to do slides because this is my third talk today, and I've got some PowerPoint fatigue. The good news is that the other two talks, the other two events that I was at, um, there was lots of interest in this general concept and in school streets, and it feels like it's an idea whose time has come. What I wanted to talk about was around um, uptake, around reducing motor traffic, creating um, healthier neighbourhoods and increased walking and cycling. Because ultimately um, that must be a big part of the end goal, that we want more people to walk, we want more people to cycle. Um, so I wanted to focus particularly on walking. A lot of the evidence base around infrastructure and uptake focuses on cycling. There's increasing evidence around infrastructure and getting more people cycling. So the evidence includes work from Cambridge, work from Sydney in Australia, and work from Copenhagen in Denmark. Um, and often there isn't so much on walking. Firstly, the evidence tends to look at changes in cycling rates, but also it tends to focus on cycling infrastructure. And this has led to something of an evidence gap. There is cross-sectional evidence around walking, around the kind of neighbourhoods, the kind of streets that pedestrians want, that people want if they're able to walk. Um, so, for instance, we look at neighbourhoods, there are places to walk to. You know, there is reductions in motor traffic, there is greening, there are parks. A recent study just looked at the presence of parks that I read and found that people who had parks on their route to work were more likely to walk to work. So this is all um, good evidence, but there is something called selection bias. It could be, for instance, one of the case studies that I read was around Poundbury, which has a lot of walking. I don't know if people know Poundbury, but it is quite a specific type of community. People who move to Poundbury may not be characteristic of people more broadly. So we need... I'm not being nasty. <laughs> um, so we need more evidence, in my view, looking at specific interventions and looking at their impact on levels of walking. We have have some of what we call stated preference evidence in the transport literature. So people say that they want places to walk that aren't full of cars, that are green, that are pleasant and so on. They want places to walk too. So again, that is good background. There's another study that people may be aware of by Donald Appleyard from the 1970s. Lovely study looking at the impact of um, levels of motor traffic on streets, on how much socialising people did in their communities. That was replicated recently, more recently in Bristol, by Hart and Parkhurst, who found similar things. Now, Hart and Parkhurst, the study is particularly interesting. It's a UK context. But also, the quiet street that they looked at was effectively modally filtered. It was a very long cul-de-sac for motor vehicles. And they found that people in that street talked about it as, you know, my neighbours speak to me. They look after me. They ask me if I'm okay. This was particularly older people. So, this was a friendly street. The street with lots of cars wasn't. But again, you could potentially say, well, maybe the people who like talking to other people tend to move to those kind of streets. So, although I think think it's enough evidence to act. I think we still need um, look, to look at the interventions that are going in, to look at the impact they have. Perhaps um, thinking about it, one of the things is that we haven't thought, we've, maybe we've thought the infrastructure for walking already exists so we don't need a major change so it's only small stuff. But actually as well, 
many of maybe many of us in this room um, felt that I certainly well looking at myself <laughs> perhaps um, and maybe that's the case to some extent on main roads but most roads are not main roads and I think it's becoming clear that we really need a transformational change for walking as well as for cycling and this is about our neighbourhood streets um, this is particularly important actually for vulnerable pedestrians it's worth pointing out I did some reanalysis of national travel survey data which has data on self-report injuries and found that disabled pedestrians were around four to five times more likely per kilometre walked to be injured by a motor vehicle compared to non-disabled pedestrians. So really, these streets are putting the most vulnerable at the highest risk. Um, I think our most successful neighbourhood streets, you can tell where they are. And there are some on my route to work. I live in Hackney. Um, and you can see where they are because people wander about in the middle of the road. This shows that they feel safe. This shows that they feel happy to do that. And manual for streets suggests around a maximum of around 100 motor vehicles per hour for this to happen, I think. It needs to be quiet. These are the kind of things, I think, that could be transformational environments. But there is a lack of uh, evaluation at the moment. But I wanted to talk to you briefly about a couple of studies that I've done in this area that are hopefully helping to contribute to the evidence base. So the first one, um, I think there's been some mention already of Mini Hollands. Um, so I've been conducting a longitudinal study called the People and Places Survey that is looking at the impact of these kinds of interventions. So the study design is, um, it comes from epidemiology. Basically, it involves having a control group and having an intervention group. Because I think we're all probably aware active travel, walking and cycling is affected by the weather. And if you have, for instance, a really nice May, which we did last time, um, then you find that people do more walking and cycling. So if you're looking at the impact of interventions, you need to be able to separate out those kind of things. So we had a control group of people living in other outer London boroughs. And then we had an intervention group. We had two, actually, um, with the study design. We had people living in mini Holland boroughs, but we also had people living in areas where interventions had actually happened. Because if you know the programme, you know it's a five-year programme. Things are happening bit by bit. So we wanted to be able to separate out the impact of being in a mini Holland borough from being somewhere where stuff had actually happened, had gone in on the ground. Now, the relevance of this uh, to the topic, of course, is that some of the, the, the early interventions, and the study's only been running for a couple of years so far, were precisely low-traffic neighbourhoods type things in Waltham Forest. Um, so it was an unusual, it's an unusual study in a sense that it's largely evaluating area-based neighbourhood motor traffic reduction type interventions so far. And there really, as I said, there really aren't many intervention studies of this, this kind of type looking at that. So... Um, we had over 3,000 people participate at baseline. We've retained more than half of them, which is not bad for this kind of thing. You're asking people to complete a long questionnaire year on year, saying you know, all about their travel in the past week, telling about travel behaviour, attitudes and so on. It's quite, you know, it's, it's, it's quite a big thing. I think one of the things that shows how much people care about their streets, their local neighbourhood, um, even if we may not always agree with them, is the amount of comments that we got. We had open comment boxes and you know, over 60% of people also give us a load of information how they feel about their local area and one thing that's interesting is that there is a lot of awareness of poor driver behaviour and of the problems caused for instance by footway parking and the impact that some of those things have particularly on people with reduced mobility, particularly on children who can't see or be seen so easily over motor vehicles but in terms of the quantitative results 
we got some really positive early results and this I did not expect to find results after a year necessarily the, the, the literature on other types of intervention doesn't suggest you may not find results after a year so I was ready to say to Transport for London who funded it well there aren't really any results after a year but we didn't really expect it you know this is the kind of thing we would expect I was all prepared to say that but actually we found we did have positive results in the high dose areas places where things had gone in people were doing more active travel and this was maintained we've recently done the second wave at year um, two contrary to the traditional assumptions in web tag so this has um, in year one around 41 minutes in year two around 45 minutes the paper is published in transportation research a and there's also information about it in travel in london 11 the tfl report so people are walking and cycling more 41 to 45 minutes more a week this doesn't maybe i don't know if it sounds much but this will be a massive health benefit i'm going to be doing a health benefits calculation um, and the other thing that was interesting was that walking, a bigger chunk of that was walking rather than cycling. Um, so I didn't perhaps appreciate the scope. People are already walking, but there was a lot of scope for people to do more walking. And when their local neighbourhood changes, they will do more walking. And you might find that before cycling because they're already walking and because you need more routes for cycling. Um, the other thing that's really interesting, in wave two, we've just found a reduction in car use in the filtered areas specifically, which is interesting. So that maybe takes a little bit longer but 20% fewer car trips among people living in those areas compared to the control and um, 39 and a half minutes less in the car in a week compared to the controls so this is all really positive um, however this, this, this study is you know, a large scale study, you're not going to be able to do something like that for individual small interventions so I wanted to just um, finish by telling you about another study design that is more replicable across small scale changes um, this is, I don't know if people are familiar with Church Street in Hounslow at all. This is a, anyway, this is a street where they put in a modal filter. So very um, small scale in a sense, cost 10 grand, they put in a planter. It's a beautiful historic area that leads to the riverside. Um, and there's a beautiful riverside pub, I can confirm, also when I did my field work. Um, so it's a very, very lovely street. They put in this planter, 10 grand. Now, this was massively dwarfed by the costs of senior officer time in dealing with the subsequent controversy. However, the planter themselves were cheap. So um, Hounslow had done basically, they'd done counts, they'd done pedestrian and cycle counts before and after and these are often done by authorities. It's a good start but if we're interested in new uptake it's not enough because a lot of those people will be people who are diverting to use the, 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 the new route to go through the neighbourhood or something which is good, it shows they want, you know, shows it's a nice environment but it's not necessarily new walking and cycling, it's not necessarily health benefit. But the, the thing that I figured was at low cost, we could actually add to that evidence and we could create something quite a bit better. So we did an intercept survey, much, much cheaper than a longitudinal, um, you know, large-scale survey. We did an intercept survey. We went and stopped people walking and cycling on that street and we asked them to fill in a survey asking about their behaviour change in order to get an estimate of what proportion of people who you know, additionally counted walkers and cyclists were really new. So in other words, people who'd shifted mode or people who are making a completely new trip that wouldn't have been made before. So we, we were able to infer this by asking people, you know, how would you have made this trip if this road, you know, if this change had not taken place? So it's not, you know, AAA standard evidence, but it's a lot better than just having counts because you can estimate new uptake. So basically, we found that around 30% of uptake was likely to be truly new. So this account equated to, on a typical day, um, maybe 102 new pedestrians and 29 new cyclists. So again, more, more um, 
you walking than cycling. It maybe doesn't sound much, but when we put it into the web tag active mode appraisal guidance, it's around um, half a million pounds health economic benefit from those planters, those bollards. So it's actually quite a lot. And one other thing that was really interesting was that we got qualitative comments again. And again, we got, we got plenty of comments. And this scheme was controversial. Even, not even everybody walking or cycling through the street supported it. But everybody was agreed that, or almost everybody was agreed that the street itself had become much, much nicer when motor traffic was removed. So even, I think, the quote that sticks in my head was somebody who was very angry about it. But nevertheless, they said, you ask about whether this street is nicer um, for children, easier to cross, quieter and less polluted. Well, of course it is. This would happen to any road if you remove the cars, including the M25. (laughs) There you go. I think that highlights just how transformational um, this change can be. And I I don't know, it's interesting the discussion that I caught earlier around are we being negative? And some, a bit of me is kind of wondering whether we should talk about pedestrian priority neighbourhoods because it really, they really should be giving people um, the feeling that they can walk in the road, that they can amble in the road and that it's their place. So just to conclude, um, I think there is enough evidence to act. There is increasingly um, evidence that this is the transformational change that we need for people to feel happy and safe walking, playing, cycling in their local neighbourhoods. But as a, just please, we should think about evaluation. We should think about um, doing that extra bit to collect evidence and to do these studies um, because Church Street says beautiful and historic and you know it's quite specific it would be interesting to compare with neighbourhoods like Frampton Park Estate so you know neighbourhoods that have very different characteristics you know what kind of uptake what kind of new uptake do we see in these different contexts and also being an academic sorry getting kind of published in academic journals is really nice because it's peer reviewed and it's up there in a stable URL and you don't have to say it's somewhere on da 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 sorry this website so Uh, also a plug for that but yeah thank you for inviting me